For I've had enough of this world and its pleasures. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. I will arise and go forth to the house of my father. I will arise and go forth to the house of my young. House of my young. Shalom, and welcome to today's teaching on the Hebraic roots of Christianity, where we study first century Christianity and the faith that Jesus, whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, which means salvation, taught his disciples. And now, Hebraic roots teacher Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries International. Shalom. I'm Eddie Chumney of Hebraic Heritage Ministries, and we welcome you to today's teaching on the subject, The Sons of Zion versus the Sons of Greece. This is part one of the series. What I'm going to be speaking on is giving you a background of Hanukkah, and then I'm going to be sharing from the scriptures what I believe can be an application of the Hanukkah lesson that should be beneficial to followers of Yeshua the Messiah who endeavor to walk after him and his ways. There's a verse in Zechariah in chapter 9 and 13 which says, When I have bent Judah for me and filled the bow with Ephraim and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece. So this is actually the spiritual conflict that is in our world, and this is actually a conflict that we have in understanding the way in which we worship the God of Israel. And so, do we follow after the ways of the God of Israel according to what the Torah says, Hebraic thinking, or are we influenced by Greek thought and Greek reasoning? Because the sons of Zion are going to be an opposition to the sons of Greece. In other words, Hebraic thinking is going to be in conflict with Greek thinking, which is based upon human reasoning. And so the background for the celebration of Hanukkah is found in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3, it says, In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. Then the king commanded to call the magicians and the astrologers to show the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said unto them, I have dreamed the dream and my spirit was troubled to know or to understand the dream. Verse 19. Then was the secret revealed, that is what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed, unto Daniel in a night vision. And then in verse 20. For therefore Daniel went unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained, to destroy the wise men of Babylon, because they could not tell him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, to destroy them not.
not, but bring me before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Verse 25, Then Ariach brought in Daniel before the king, and then he explains to him that this image that he saw, what it is, and the interpretation. And it goes like this, Daniel chapter 2, verse 31, You, O king, saw and behold a great image. The image's head was a fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And so what Nebuchadnezzar dreamed were world empires that would come against the people of the God of Israel in their exile. So the head of gold is Babylon. And then we have the next part of the image where we have his breast and his arms of silver. That's the media Persian Empire. And then the thighs of brass is the Grecian Empire. And then the legs of iron is the Roman Empire. And then the feet, part of iron and part of clay, since the legs of iron and the feet are half iron, the five of the toes represents Rome, or in the interpretation of the rabbis, Rome is associated with Esau, and part of clay. Once again, the rabbinic interpretation on this is the clay represents Ishmael. It's Esau and Ishmael are the ten toes that's going to oppose the people of the God of Israel, Jacob in the end of days. But ultimately, after these empires rule and reign over the house of Jacob, then the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to destroy those kingdoms. And he's the stone that smote the image, and smote the toes of the image, and that stone became a great mountain, which means it rules in all the earth. That's Messiah setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives, and him setting up his kingdom, where he's going to teach the Torah to all nations from Jerusalem. Then, that's the bigger picture. You have these world empires that's going to rule over the people of the God of Israel. But in Daniel chapter 8, there is a specific focus on the Media Persian Empire who is taken over by the Grecian Empire. Daniel chapter 8, verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the beginning. And in verse 16, Gabriel made this man to understand the vision. And in verse 19, he said, I will make you know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. Daniel 8.3, Then I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. Verse 4, And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beasts or no other empires might stand before him. Now the interpretation, Daniel chapter 8 verse 20, the ram which you saw having two horns are the kings of the Medes and the Persians, which in Daniel chapter 2 was represented by silver. Daniel 8 5, and as I was considering, behold a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. The interpretation, Daniel 8 21, and the rough goat is the king of Greece. 
And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king, or the ruler that came and defeated the Media Persian Empire. And the historical understanding of this prophecy is the following. The notable horn of the Grecian Empire in Daniel chapter 8 verse 5 refers to Alexander the Great. Alexander lived from 365 B.C. to 323 B.C. And as a young boy, Alexander studied the writings of the Greek philosopher Aristotle. And at the age of 20, Alexander became the king of the Greek state Macedonia. Later, he went to war and conquered the Persian Empire. Alexander believed that the Greek culture could unify the world. And so the philosophy of Alexander, which he wanted to impose upon the world at the time, is the present world in which we are living. And there is an effort that primarily comes from the Western world, where they're trying to take our world and make it one world, and the whole world conform to one type of thinking through international law. And ultimately, the thinking that the world's supposed to bow to is Greek thinking. So, if we continue on here regarding Alexander, he founded a new city in each country of his empire that would serve as a model for the furtherance of the Greek culture. Public buildings, gymnasiums, open-air theaters, the spread of Greek names, Greek dress, and a common language all were byproducts of the rule of the Greek empire. And the spread of the Greek culture was known as Hellenism. So back to Daniel chapter 8, we're in verse 6 it says, He came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. Verse 7, And I saw him come close to the ram, and he was moved with a collar against him, and smote the ram and brake his two horns. Daniel 8.8 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken. What happened historically is that Alexander the Great died at the age of 32, and his kingdom was divided among four of his generals because he gave instruction, whoever's the strongest can have it. So there was a fight within the Greek world. So Daniel 8.8 8, Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, the four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Daniel 8, 9 And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land meaning the land of Israel. Daniel chapter 8 verses 22 through 24. Now that being broken whereas four stood up for it four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom when the transgressors are come to the full a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. From the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, in the article The History of Hanukkah, it says the following, Around 200 B.C., Jews lived as an autonomous people in the land of Israel, which at this time was controlled by the Seleucid king of Syria. The Jewish people 
people paid taxes to Syria and accepted its legal authority and by and large were free to follow their own faith, maintain their own jobs, and engage in trade. You see, the progression of how things were that we're learning here is actually the progression in our society. Because initially, we pay our taxes and we're free to follow our own faith and maintain our own jobs and and select businesses that we want to do. But ultimately, the system says you need to conform ultimately to our ways. And if it conflicts with the way that you have been living your life, you have to give up the way that you've been living your life. And you've got to conform to the ways that we are decreeing by which everyone should live. And this is part of the cultural war that's been in America for the last 30, 40 years. And so then continuing in the Wikipedia Encyclopedia article, by 180 BC, Antiochus IV, called Epiphanes, ascended to the Seleucid throne. And at first, little changed. But under his reign, Jews were gradually forced to violate the precepts of their faith. Are there any laws being made in America that's causing those who believe in the Bible and the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and want to follow after Yeshua the Messiah and even keep his commandments that they're forcing us to do things that violate our faith. Well, this is what happened historically with the Grecian rulers. Jews rebelled at having to do this. And under the reign of Antiochus IV, the temple in Jerusalem was looted. Jews were massacred and Judaism was effectively outlawed. So now we're going to look at 1st Maccabees where we have the details of the times and details regarding the things that Antiochus imposed upon the people of the God of Israel. 1st Maccabees chapter 1 verse 10 And there came out of them a wicked root, Antiochus named Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king, who had been a hostage at Rome, and he reigned 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. Moreover, king Antiochus wrote to the whole kingdom that all should be one people. Now, how is it that when the Supreme Court of the United States makes a ruling that gay marriage should be something that's legal and accepted, that the ruling that's made in the United States, just right after it's made, we want to try to impose that ruling on other countries of the world. Well, this is the spirit of the Greeks, that they want everyone to be one people, to follow one standard of ways, and that everyone should leave his laws or the way in which he thinks he should live his life. And so all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. And so we have very many people who call themselves Christians in the United States of America. And rather than being faithful to this book, even though they may go to church every Sunday and claim that this book is what their faith is based upon, they don't take what's in this book out into their culture and their society. And they make a disconnect between what this book says and how they think society should operate. And so this is the application that First Maccabees is referring to, that when the Greeks say you need to follow our culture and our ways and you got to give up your beliefs in your ways, all the heathen agreed. First Maccabees 144, for the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem and the cities of Judah that they should follow the ways of the Greeks, the strange laws of the land. In other words, the laws that were in violation to the commandments of the God of Israel. And these were the things that were ultimately demanded and commanded to be done. First Maccabees 145. And I want you to pay close attention to this list because this is a major 
the point of the message and understanding the spiritual battle of Hanukkah and, and what you're actually lighting your candles to celebrate. And he forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the Sabbath and the festival days. First Maccabees chapter 1 verse 47 and verse 49. And sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts to the end that they might forget the Torah and change all the ordinances. First Maccabees 144. Given that the king sent letters that what the Greek ways were and the laws should be followed, that verse 50 whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he should die. You know, at first you could live your life how you want, but now all of a sudden if you don't do according to Greek ways, which is a violation of how you might want to individually live your life, where they initially might call it freedom, but now if you don't do it, there's punishment that he should die. Verse 51 In the selfsame manner wrote he to the whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. So since this is a central point of the teaching, let me highlight again what ultimately were the decrees and the outcome of the decrees by Antiochus. Number one, that the people of the God of Israel should not follow the Torah. Number two, that the people of the God of Israel should not circumcise their children. Number three, that the people of the God of Israel should not celebrate the Sabbath. Number four, that the people of the God of Israel should not keep the festivals. Number five, sacrifices should no longer be done in the temple at Jerusalem. And number six, people should be free to eat pig. So these were the decrees and the outcome of the decrees of Antiochus. What I find interesting as I look at this list of decrees and the outcome that came about from the decrees is those things is what is taught in modern Christianity today using the New Testament for the rationale of it saying that this is what Paul taught in his letters is the way to follow the Messiah. You see, what Antiochus wanted to decree and was unsuccessful at, the enemy tried a new tactic. He wanted to bring in this belief system and he had to bring it in and wrap it in a religious wrapping. And so what was the best religious wrapping to put it in. Those who wanted to believe that Yeshua is the Messiah. So now he's tying these things. These things are now being tied with those who believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, attributing them to Paul. And so the preachers today say this is the way that you are to follow the Messiah because of what he did when he died on the tree and shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. When you accept him as your Savior and Lord, this is the way you're supposed to practice your faith. Don't follow the Torah. Don't circumcise your children. Don't keep the Sabbath. Don't keep the festivals. We don't need to have sacrifices in the temple anymore. And we're actually commanded, we're allowed, and we're permitted to eat pig. So, based upon what Antiochus decreed, and what they say that Yeshua did for us, Yeshua then actually did for us what Antiochus failed to do by decree. So, Yeshua must therefore be a student of Antiochus because Yeshua is providing for what he decreed that should be done as a way of following Greek rule.
people. You see how our minds got completely changed so that when those decrees are wrapped in a Christian package, then we accept it. And so what has caused us to accept? Because we're looking at the scriptures with Greek eyes and Greek thought, which is human reasoning. From the Jewish Encyclopedia, the influence of Greek ways was called Hellenism among the Jews. Hellenism is the word used to express the assimilation, especially by the Jews, of Greek speech, manners, and cultures from the 4th century through the first centuries of the common area. The victorious campaign of Alexander the Great had linked the East to the West. The victory was not simply a political one. Its spiritual influence was much greater. The Greek language became a common language for near Asia, and with the language went Greek culture, Greek art, and Greek thought. The Greek influence pervaded everything, and even in the very strongholds of Judaism, it modified the organization of the state, the law, in public affairs, art, science, and industry, affecting even the ordinary things of life and the common associations of the people. And so, in our modern world, the influences of our culture, the things we watch on TV and what the media says is proper behavior, influences the way we live our lives rather than adhering and keeping to what the scriptures say is the way that we are to live our lives. By the introduction of Grecian art, a door was opened to debauchery and riotous living. And though Judaism was hardly menaced by the introduction of direct idolatry, the connection of this culture was sublimated Greek polytheism and it became a real danger to the Jewish religion. For this reason, the Hellenists are called in the book of Maccabees, wicked men, ungodly men. And so in 1 Maccabees 1.10, when Antiochus and he reigned over the kingdom of the Greeks. Verse 11, in those days went there out of Israel wicked men. These are people that profess faith in the God of Israel and following his ways, but yet they're practicing what the culture is wanting and having them to do. There went out of Israel wicked men who persuaded many, saying, let us go and make a covenant with the heathen, or let us believe that the way in which our culture should be is according to how Hollywood says and how the media says, and not according to what the book says. And then 1 Maccabees 1.12, so this device pleased them well. 1 Maccabees 1.41, moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that they should be one people. So today this is called the New World Order, that all the nations are going to agree and follow a system, and it's going to govern the world. And everyone should leave his laws. In other words, we do away with national sovereignty. National sovereignty is no longer important, we need to think of ourselves as North America, as South America, as Europe, and then we need to merge it and see, what are they trying to do with immigration? They're trying to make us all one people with all one set of laws, even though there's different people of faith who bring in different culture. They want in that society to adopt to the cultural norm in the place where they go. First Maccabees 142, and everyone should leave his laws or the way he lives his life, so all the heathen agreed. Yes, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion. Notice it's called his religion. Greek thought, Greek ways. First Maccabees is called a religion and sacrificed unto idols and profaned the Sabbath. So once again, highlighting the primary outcome of the decrees of Antiochus, that people should not follow the Torah, not circumcise their children, should not celebrate the Sabbath, should not keep the festivals. There should no longer be sacrifice 
sacrifice in the temple and we can eat pig, I want to give an application of how ultimately that belief system has come into and is taught as the way in which we're supposed to express our faith in Yeshua as the Messiah because when people are reading the New Testament, what they're doing is they're bringing in Greek thought. Well, that's going to conclude part one of the series on the subject, the sons of Zion versus the sons of Greece. Shalom in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. Thank you, Eddie. This is Stephen Morgan, and all of us here at Hebraic Heritage Ministries pray that you have enjoyed today's teaching. If you've been blessed, will you help us to share this message with others? Hebraic Heritage Ministries is supported by your generous financial gifts. In order to help you in your studies and to help us share this message with others, we are offering today the DVD, Yeshua the Lawgiver, for free for a love gift of any amount to the ministry. Hebraic Heritage Ministries also offers a monthly discipleship program. If you are interested in starting a fellowship group in your area, let us know. We would like to help you. Please contact us for more details. Our website is hebroots.org. That's H-E-B-R-O-O-T-S dot O-R-G. We would like to hear from you please send us an email. Finally, in order to take advantage of today's free offer, please mention this product offer and please mail your love gift to Hebraic Heritage Ministries, P.O. Box 81, Strasburg, that's S-T-R-A-S-B-U-R-G, Ohio, 44680. Until next time, may Yeshua richly bless you.